Okay, good morning again. Um, it's so good to see um, quite a lot of people here this morning, um, all spread out around uh, the school, which is fantastic. So, so good to have you again. And if you're, you're online, it's great. Um, as, as we kind of learn from God's word together, uh, just a little shout out again to those people who are online that if you feel like God is speaking, um, if you want to comment, if you want to share, if you want to heckle, whatever you want to do, then feel free to put your comments into the YouTube chat. We're completely live uh, in the moment, so you can respond, and I've got my little chat up in front of me so I can see um, what's going on, so uh, that would be great. So if you've been around Vintage for quite a long time, you'll know there's a particular phrase that has marked our journey for the last two years. It's a question, really, uh, and it goes like this. How do you bloom where you're planted? What does it mean to bloom where you're planted? What does even the phrase bloom where you're planted mean? Um, it's a phrase that has meant a lot to Laura and I personally. It's a prophetic word that God gave to this church uh, over two years ago now. And this morning, we're going to take that and unpack that a little bit um, and look at what it might mean for you and for me right now, right where we are in this kind of moment in history to bloom where we're planted. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, or if you've got it on a device, uh, then we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 5. Romans 5, 1 to 5. So we're going to have our reading, which will come up on the screens now. Good morning, Vintage. Today's reading is from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Great. Thanks, Miles. So three things that I want to speak to you about this morning, about how we bloom where we're planted. In order to bloom where you're planted, number one, we've got to be honest about where we're planted. Number two, we've got to be able to see the good in where we're planted. And number three, we've got to be able to see the purpose in where we're planted on earth. So that's where we're going to be going over the next uh, few minutes. So first up, how do we be honest about the places where God has planted us? Um, I don't know if you spotted, but there's a particular question that always gets asked uh, as people arrive at church or they go on Vintage Brew, and the question is always basically the same. How's your week been? Or how are you doing? And not only is there a stock question, but there's also a stock answer to that question, isn't there? Like uh, When someone asks you the question, how are you doing, the answer that you're supposed to give in church is fine. Any other, offer, any other options? Great. Come on, keep going. All right, where are the Pentecostals in the room? Come on. Highly favored, blessed. You know, you can, we, can, we, can, we can carry on. Um, it's a bit like Instagram, isn't it? That question. Like, you must give the correct answer that puts the shiniest, most complete picture um, in front of people. In fact, I don't think I've ever been in a church service where someone has come up, when I've asked that question of someone and they've said, man, I'm struggling. You know, I, I uh, cried my way to sleep last night. I barely made it this morning. Life is really hard. I don't think I've ever heard that question, uh, the, ever heard the answer. And I think the reason that maybe I've never heard that answer is because there's something about the Christian life, isn't there, which is that, like this, if God is kind, 
if God is loving, if God wants to heal us, if God wants to pour out blessings in our life, and if I come to church or another person asks me how my life really is, and my life isn't like an endless fire hose of blessing spraying out all over the world around me, then maybe I've done it wrong. Like maybe God doesn't love me. He maybe doesn't love me as much as he loves the other person who clearly their life is a fire hose of endless blessing to everybody around them. Well, the first thing I want us to recognize, realize, just simply be reminded of this morning that that is not a Christian view of what blessing is. If you've ever read through the Bible, if you ever read through the book of Lamentation, anyone ever read that? Almost nobody does that for fun. Anyone read through the book of Job or so many of the Psalms that actually what you realize is that there is a reality to life on earth which includes woe. It includes pain. It includes like pouring out grief. When you you go to the New Testament, the shortest verse in the Bible is a description of Jesus when he's standing at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And the description of Jesus simply says this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. You know, if you think about the, the early church, we, we sometimes think of the early church as this incredible bunch of miraculous missionaries who floated on clouds and who saw like you know, thousands and thousands of people you know, come to faith and healings happened and miracles happened and like churches just birthing out all over the world. And of course that, that happened, but we kind of forget sometimes that they were some of the most persecuted individuals that have ever lived on the planet. The life expectancy of an early Christian Christian was not very high. People struggled. They struggled in the early church. And today, if you came to church and really your heart was not full of joy and laughter, then it's okay. Know that there is absolutely nothing wrong in that place. There is no judgment in pain. There is no judgment in lament. In fact, lament or grief are central themes in the Bible. They actually are invited to be people who are honest about the things that we're facing around us. Um, I'm in the young families community group. I love it. Got many parents of little children and slightly older children. And a couple of weeks back in our community group, we just had an evening together when we reflected as parents that life is quite tough now. Like we can actually say that. Um, it's been a year since our kids last entered into a school premises, unless they came here to church. Like it's been really tough. We've seen seven babies in vintage Pasadena that have been birthed, and a whole bunch of them have never really met a lot of other human beings. It's been a difficult year. Um, As Nancy mentioned, so many people have lost incomes this year. They have struggled this year. We've had unemployments this year. We've even had deaths in our community this year from COVID and other things. It's been difficult. And as a community group, we just sent an evening lamenting, like just pouring out like sadness and pain because it is hard. And it's okay for that to be happen because actually the invitation in the Christian life is not just to live in pain but to recognize the invitation that Jesus gives us, which is to come to him in pain. When we face pain, when we face grief, it's so easy to either ignore it or to run away. And actually, what we read in Scripture in 1 Peter 5 is this, cast your burdens, cast your anxieties on him because he, God, cares for us. You notice that little word that Peter uses, cast. Like that's not a very polite word. That's not a word with kind of reverence and dignity. That is literally come before God and pour out your heart to God. Why? Because God cares for us. He cares for us in the midst of the pain that we face. You know, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He's just about to face the cross. His disciples are supposed to be praying and they're asleep. And he's taught the disciples how to pray, right? He said to them, when you pray, you say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know, it's very deferential. It's very formal. It's very correct. And yet when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you notice how Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prays like this, Daddy, no. I don't want it. Don't do it. If there's any other way, take this away. This is not okay. That's what Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane. When we face grief, when we face pain, when we face suffering, the invitation that we're given in the Bible is to come to God in prayer. Karl Barth, the very famous theologian, says in these moments of suffering, prayer is as necessary as breathing is necessary for life. We come to God in our pain and our grief. And what we find, though, sometimes we get a very neat, tidy answer and a miracle happens, don't we? But what we always find is that as we come to God in pain, as we come to God with tears, that we notice that God has the same tears in his eyes. Tears of love. Tears of acceptance. Tears of kindness and compassion that he gives to us. And so if you came to church this morning struggling, it's okay. God loves you. God is with you. God's kindness and compassion reaches out to you today. And we can be honest about that. I would love us to be a church community where one day I say to somebody, how are you doing? And they say, I barely made it. And we can pray and we can love and we can encourage each other. So uh, we be honest about the places that we're planted. But the second thing, that isn't the end of the story. Second thing is we've got to recognize that there is beauty always in the places that we are planted. Um, I think if you'd have asked me 10 years ago um, about blessings and disappointments, I think what I'd have probably said to you is there are moments in life which are great blessings, right? There are moments of euphoria and excitement and there are moments of disappointment. And they're two different things. But what I've come to realize over time, and I think this is exactly what scripture gives us, is the understanding that blessings and disappointments are not two different moments. They're two different sides of the same uh, moment. Uh, It's it's almost exactly uh, two years ago this week, in fact, two years ago this week, that Laura and I stepped off a plane at LAX. We were picked up in the car by Greg and Irene Wellborn, and they gave us lunch and took us to our house. And we'd been through a couple of really challenging years, dealing with some difficult circumstances, and we found ourselves at the response to this incredible prophetic word here in LA. We looked at our home, we met different people, and we thought, this is it. Like, thank you, God, for the incredible blessings that you've poured out into our lives. Now, of course, on the other side of the coin was the fact that we were 5,500 miles away from our family. We had no idea how to live in L.A. We didn't even know how to open up bank accounts. Like, we were totally lost. We were lonely. We didn't know what was going on all around us. There was both blessing in huge abundance, but there was also moments of sadness, and there were hard moments. And what I've come to realize is that that's always true in some way. In every single moment, there will be things that are unbelievably good and there will be things that are hard. And that is what it means to live in a world which is not quite as God originally intended to be. God is with us, though. And in fact, what we find in today's reading is that there are two forms of goodness that are always on offer to us, that we can always recognize as we bloom. 
The first is this, that there is always a spiritual good on offer to us. In today's reading, Paul says, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What Paul's saying is basically, you could be someone, as he was, who is basically in rags, in the pouring rain, with nothing, with no sense of physical kind of joy around you, and yet you can be a person of hope. Why can you be a person of hope? You can be a person of hope because of what Jesus has done for you. Through Jesus Christ, we have access not just to a relationship with God now, but we have access to an eternal future, to a time when there will be, will be no more pain, when there will be no more suffering, when there will be no more heartache and anguish, that that is ahead of every single person who knows and loves Jesus. Why? Because we did it, no, because Jesus did it for us. We gain it through faith and because of God's grace, his riches at Christ's expense, which means that wherever we are, in any moment of life, we always have that ahead of us. And that should change how we view the world around us. Um, I've been spending some time with one of our people in our community who's facing homelessness. And uh, I met up with this, this um, couple, and they'd been evicted from the very under the bridge where they lived because that was their shelter, and they got evicted, and all their possessions were confiscated. And the lady said to me at the end of the day, she said, Ben, I just feel like Job today. I have literally nothing. But she says, I am grateful for this thing. God loves me. For what a thing to say when you literally have nothing else. That in every moment, we have a reality, which is that God loves us and that you and I have a hope and a future. And I want to say this morning, if you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is a free offer that God gives to you because of his kindness. If you are not a Christian this morning, don't mess around. Like, don't wait that's what God wants to offer you, life and a future. So we have a spiritual good, but there's also, the second part of that is that there's also, as scripture tells us, there's always physical good. There is always physical goods. Even the friends of mine who live under the bridge tell me that there is physical good. Um, as I was kind of reflecting this week on, you know, a year in the life of vintage Pasadena, um, I did reflect on this. I reflected on the fact that I do actually really miss being inside the auditorium over there. Like there is a little part of me that wishes we were all hugging it out, like in there with the music on loud and you know all packed out and having lunch together. I do miss that. Of course, I miss that. But I was talking to somebody um, a, a week ago and you know talking about the fact that maybe I'm not quite as kind of crazily, frantically busy as I might be if we had like four alpha courses running or the marriage course and the parenting course and having lunch together and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and and he was saying to me, he was like, well, when I planted a church. I don't know if he was boasting or was just asking for sympathy, I don't know. But he said, well, when I planted a church, we went to like six services almost immediately and we had all this kind of stuff going on and it was really busy. And he said, but here's the thing, I never saw my kids. I never saw my family. I never got a chance to breathe. I was almost burnt out after just a few months of doing it. And I thought, do you know what? I've had breakfast with my kids and dinner with my kids almost every night for the last six months. Like, I've got to do that. Now, that's not to make light of the pain of the last year, but it is just to recognize that in any moment, any situation, there is moment, there are things to give thanks for. When uh, Paul's speaking to the church in Philippi, he, he says this, he says, do not be anxious about anything, 
but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, as Christians, we don't have to pretend that we live in heaven and that we're just floating around, but our bodies haven't quite got there yet, and that's how the level of blessing. But in the same way, we don't have to pretend that we're actually in hell and that there's nothing good, because there are always moments, and we are invited to worship God in those moments. Um, And if you've ever read some of the Psalms, they're so beautiful. One of my favorite Psalms, um, you can look it up later um, if you want to, Um, it is Psalm 109. And basically, it's 27 verses of complaining. This is a, it could be an English person writing this, this, right? 27 verses, it goes like this. People are wicked and deceitful. They've opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with lying tongues. Like this person just goes for it in the presence of God. But then in verse 28, it says this. But with my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him that there is always things to bring to God in praise for what he's done, for who he is. There is beauty always in every moment to come to God. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God. We have access by faith into this new life that God has given us. So how do you do that? Well, here's just a suggestion maybe. I know we're in Lent and Lent means different things to different groups of people. But um, one thing I'm doing in Lent um, is a prayer called the Examine. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen it before. It's a very ancient prayer. Um, It sounds very spiritual. Um, Lots of monastic kind of communities do it. But it's actually very simple. And it's just this. At the end of every day, you stop and you replay the day with God. You just go through the day, one bit at a time. God, thank you this morning that I got breakfast. And lots of people didn't, but I did. Thank you that I got to see my kids. Thank you that when I walked out, I live in Southern California and it wasn't snowing in Southern California this week. You know, thank you, God, that I got to just have a little conversation with someone. And what you find as you do that little process of replaying the day is that it breeds so much thankfulness because you recognize all the things that you completely glossed over or that I completely glossed over because God is doing good things. Now, it also brings moments of repentance and grief and sadness always brings those moments where you think, I so should not have said what I said to my kids or the lack of patience with them or whatever. But there are so much beauty that we miss if we just rush through the prayer of examine. Maybe Google that and have a look at that this week. So we recognize where we live. We recognize the pain in it. But we also choose to see the beauty in it and what God is doing. But then the third thing I want to say is this. In order to bloom where you're planted... We actually have to find the purpose for which God has planted us where we are. Um, Many of you know this story, but uh, two and a half years ago, uh, Laura and I, we were living just outside of London. Um, We had uh, visited LA with a view to moving to the west side to help vintage plant churches on the west side of LA. Um, We'd had a really interesting week here. We had about two or three hours in Pasadena just meeting up with a few of you who are here today and online, just hearing some of the stories of Alpha and some of the things that were going. And uh, we'd gone back to England and felt like God had said to us, hey, you need need to say yes to moving to LA, to the west side of LA. And so we'd, we'd said yes. And we were just packing up our stuff in England. We were putting all our life into kind of boxes and all of those kind of things. And uh, this lovely uh, older lady uh, came up to me after church one morning. She said, 
Ben, uh, you need to uh, you need to know this word that I just think God is speaking to you. Um, I don't know what it means, but it's simply this: you need to bloom where you're planted. Now, I um, sometimes this is the way with prophetic words. I said, "Thank you, that's really helpful." I have no idea what you're talking about, and I just put it to one side. But the same lady emailed me on the 1st of December 2019 when we were literally packing up our house. And she said, Ben, I'm just in Pasadena, California, uh, visiting my relatives. And I'm walking down, I was walking down the main street today and there's a huge billboard up on the side of one of the buildings um, in Colorado which says, bloom where you're planted. Do you think God is speaking to you? And uh, you know, by that point, we were planning to go to a different part of LA. We were all ready and packed up to go. We were looking for houses. And, uh, but I, I thought, I better email. I better email the, the lead pastor of the Vintage Network. And so I emailed Gare and said, Gare, you know, like, I know we're coming. But just so you know, this is what somebody shared with me today. And I expected him to go, OK, that's fine. You know, forget all about it. <laughs> we come and do the thing we were already talking about. And amazingly, within a day or two, he came back and said, well, here's the thing. We've been having meetings in Pasadena with the lovely guys who are out there. And they are desperate and ready to plant a church there. They have everything. They just don't have a pastor. Like, do you want to go? And in that exact moment, Laura and I went, oh, yeah. This is something God is calling us to be. And that bloom where you're planted word became the very word that brought us to Pasadena. When I arrived in Pasadena on the very first day that I sat at my desk in, my, in our house, um, I sat down and I did two things. The first thing I did was I took a bit of paper and I stuck it on the wall and wrote the words, how will the poor win from vintage Pasadena? Now, that was my reflection that if we were going to plant a church in Pasadena, this had to be a kingdom story which involved not just those who were doing well, but those who were struggling. But the second thing I did is I googled bloom where you're planted. I just put it into a Google search and I found a nice little picture of a flower to put on as my desktop background. You know, anyone else got a little nice desktop background on their, their computer? Yeah. So I just put a little desktop background, and I forgot all about it. I forgot all about the picture. I forgot all about the words bloom where you're planted. Um, and it wasn't really until about three weeks ago when Matt Dunn was preaching here, and Laura uh, brought a word, which the word that they brought was this, both of them, was you need to know that this word, bloom where you're planted, is for the church in this moment. And it was the first time when I suddenly stopped and thought, what does it actually mean to bloom where you're planted? Like, what does that calling on our lives really look like? So I, I did a bit of thinking and did a praying, and I stumbled across a talk by the spiritual father of the whole kind of vintage movement, a guy called Nicky Gumbel. Um, many of you will know him. And uh, almost exactly two years ago, Nicky Gumbel in London gave a talk called this, Bloom Where You're Planted. I'd never seen it. And the first slide that Nicky Gumbel used in his talk two years ago was this slide, which is about to come up, which also just so happens to be my desktop from my uh, computer. I'd forgotten all about it. And Nicky said, what do you notice about this picture? And I had to admit, I'd never noticed anything about this picture. Because when you set a desktop background, what you do is you put everything on top of it and you never see it again, right? That's what a desktop background is. But what do you notice about this picture, if you're here this morning or if you're online? What do you notice if you can see it in the sun? Anyone? Can you see it? If you can't, it's basically um, a, a yellow, beautiful flower in the most incredible, hard, cracked, dry ground, blooming. And Nicky Gumbel's point was this. As Christians, the summary of what Christians are invited to in the New Testament is this. 
you are invited to bloom in the very places where God has planted you. What does it mean to bloom? Well, the dictionary says this, to bloom is to produce or yield blossoms. It is to flourish or thrive. That God has a plan for my life and for Laura's life and for your life, for where you are in the moment to bloom in the places that you are planted. To bloom where you're planted is to join in with God's mission in the places that God has put your feet today. What's God's mission? Well, God's mission is the things that God cares about on the earth. To see people come to faith, to deal with issues of injustice, to deal with issues of, of, of hurt and pain and poverty, to bring about the reign of God's kingdom on the earth now as it is in heaven. And we all get to be part of that story. Um, in the early church, in the hundreds of years after Jesus was on the planet, the early church learned what it meant to bloom where they were planted. Um, in the 200 years after Jesus, there were a whole bunch of smallpox outbreaks across the Roman Empire. And uh, because they didn't have modern healthcare, uh, the, the wealthy of the communities, the big cities in the Roman Empire, they just got up and they left the cities and went to live in other places. And they left two groups of people living in the Roman cities. One were the poor and the lonely and the lost and the least who had no ability to go anywhere. And two were the Christians. And the Christians chose to stay. They chose to bloom where they were planted. They set up schools. They set up hospitals. They set up orphanages in their communities. So much so that when the civilization started up again, like in the years following the outbreaks, all the people returned to the cities to find all these institutions, all these organizations, all this grace and love was just going on. Christianity had bloomed where it was planted in the hardest places. And many church historians say that that was the single, if not one of two, of the most important reasons why Christianity bloomed throughout the Roman Empire in those years after Jesus. What would it look like if we, you and me, really found out what it was to bloom where we're planted? When God's people went into captivity and went to exile, uh, many of the prophets said, you know, don't worry, exile will be over soon. You'll get to go back to the good life. But the prophet Jeremiah realized that God would brought his people into exile for a significant period of time. And so through the prophet Jeremiah, God spoke a word to those early believers and said to them, this is how you are to live in captivity. This is how you live in exile. And these are the words in Jeremiah 29.7 that we hear. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Those little words in that verse are words that uh, we as clergy across Pasadena reflect on pretty much every single month. We recognize that as churches, as Christians, that we have a call which is bigger than just our own personal relationship with Jesus. That we have a call to see good come to our communities. That we are called into the places of darkness to bring God's light. That's why I love what Nancy does. She's so fantastic. Stars are so fantastic. Door of Hope, we're so fantastic. But it's even more than that, that every single one of us is not a citizen of LA. We're a citizen of heaven and we are called to bring light into the darkest places. We can thrive 
just like that little flower was thriving, even if today we find ourselves in the darkest places. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to look at our circumstances and go like, yeah, man, I would bloom. If I was in Huntington Gardens, I would be the most good-looking rose in the place, right? We can, we can think like that. If I was in a greenhouse, I would bloom. But do you know what, Ben? I'm in a dead-end job, you know? Uh, my home life is not easy right now. You know, I can't see my family. I can't travel. I can't do all those things. Surely I will bloom in future when my life is where I want it to be. God says, no, we don't bloom where you want to be. You don't bloom where you used to be. You bloom, you serve, you bring life and hope into the very places where you are. I heard this story of um, a lady. She was a checkout assistant uh, in a grocery store her whole life. Her sphere of influence to bloom was like six foot by six foot. That was it. She never went anywhere. She never stood on a stage But she made it a point that every time somebody came to her checkout, she would say good morning or good evening, she would find out the person's name, and she would say that she's going to pray for them on their, them and their fam her, that person and their family. And she did that her whole life. In fact, it got quite bad in the, in, in the supermarket, the grocery store, because the line at her checkout got really, really long. Like all the other grocery, the checkouts would be very short, and her line would be really long because everybody wanted to come and talk to this lady. A few years after she retired, her, she died, and they had a funeral for this unassuming, like, low-income lady. And the church was packed out, full of people. And one person after the next person after the next person just stood up and wanted to attest to the fact that their life had been transformed by the interactions with this old lady in the grocery store every day. We can bloom in the darkness. You know, I think sometimes in the Christian life, we kind of paint a picture, which is that it's all a trip to cocktails by the pool. You know, the, the best Christian life is the Christian life where we just get to chill out and have fun, right? I mean, that would be nice, but that isn't the view because God says this, I have a better plan for you than to sit by a pool. In fact, we find out that when we bloom in the darkest places, two things happen. The first thing that happens is that actually God builds us up. He builds up our gifting. He builds up our calling. He builds up our spiritual muscles. Um, in verse three of the passage today, um, Paul says, not only do we rejoice in the spiritual things, but we also glory in our sufferings. How do you glory in your sufferings? He says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Um, if you look in the definition, the other word for bloom, which I didn't know until yesterday when I looked it up, is actually to bloom is, is another word for a bar of steel or iron which has been hammered off one of those very hot ingots. It's been beaten. It's been kind of worked into shape. That's also what it means to bloom. You know, seven uh, weeks or five weeks maybe probably into vintage Pasadena story, like a year ago, I see, I remember being in the gym going, this church planting life, this is great. You know, I was like listening to a podcast. I was like, you know, Carla and Daniel and everyone else were doing what they needed to do and I'd finished my work for the day and I was like, I love this church planting life. You know, I can do this kind of church planting, Lord. Thank you so much. Um, and then, of course, like one or two weeks later, the world shut down. And there are things that I am so sad about that we haven't been able to do this last year. But I also reflect on this. 
I'm a better pastor than I was a year ago because I've had to walk with people who have been struggling and in pain. As a church, we're a better church than we were a year ago. Right, right now, we are live streaming our services all over the world. We're a one-year-old church plant and there are people watching in England. There are people watching all over the United States right now. During the course of this week, loads of people will pick up our services. We've had people on Alpha who've been all over the US. You know, We've been able to partner and do different things in different ways than we ever expected to do. God has used those moments of the last year to build up strength. You know, maybe as parents, you are a better parent than you were a year ago. I mean, you may not feel like that right now, let's just be honest. But maybe you are because you've learned about homeschooling. Maybe um, your experience of being on Zoom this last year has given you opportunities to grow skills. Maybe you've been in different situations with different relationships. The promise of Romans chapter 8 is that God is always at work in every situation, working for your good, to use you in his plans and his purpose. We get uh, things Uh, built up in our lives when we build the muscles of faith. But the second thing is that we also receive. And the final thing is we also receive when we give. You know, I, I don't know if you've noticed that, but whenever we are called to bloom, we always get back more than we ever give. As I, um, I went to see our little uh, friends who live under the bridge um, over after Christmas. And um, when I went to see this little family that live under the bridge, the, the, the gentleman Um, had just got this little Lego model. He'd found it in someone's trash. And it was his pride and joy. It was a little Lego dragster. It was his favorite thing. And he had it up in his tent. Like, And every time I would go and see him after Christmas, he said, isn't this just amazing? You know, like, he loved it. And uh, it was like all he had, really. And uh, I went to see him uh, about two or three weeks ago. And uh, he said, Ben, I, I've got something for you. I thought, no, 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 that's not how this works. You know, I'm supposed to help you and be a blessing to you. And he said, no, no, I want William and Chloe to have something. And he went in his tent and he pulled out the Lego dragster and he gave it to them. You know, I just, I just burst into tears under the bridge because I thought, isn't it astonishing that whenever we give, whenever we bloom, whenever we're called into darkness, that God has things which he wants to remind us and bless us of his goodness. And so I just want to leave you with the thought and the question of this. What might it mean for you this week to bloom where you're planted? What would it might mean for you this week to, to live in the very space, physical, virtual, that God has put you and to make a difference for the kingdom of God? I am overwhelmed with excitement about what it could look like for 60 people to bloom where they're planted. I mean, we're running Alpha, and if, again, in the not-too-distant future, what would it look like even if, even if we just all brought two friends to, G, to Alpha in, in the next few months? What would it look like if they brought two friends to Alpha on the next Alpha course? We could have the whole of Pasadena on Alpha in like three or four years if we carried on like that. You know, we can make differences where we are called to bloom because God is working for our good. We're honest about where we are. We see the good in where we are and we recognize that there is purpose and plans for us even in the hard soil where we might find ourselves. Shall we pray?